All I can say about last Sunday in our celebration of the 4th of July, ooh-wee, we had a good time. <laughs> Chelsea Moon, very, very talented. And it was great having them here with us. And uh, maybe someday we can get them back. But have an announcement. We got Harvest America coming up, and as a preview to that, we're going to show the Lost Boy movie. Lost Boy movie is kind of a life story about Greg Laurie. Here's our problem. Somebody has borrowed the movie and has not brought it back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Don't make us go buy that movie again now. Come on. <laughs> but we can. But if you do have the movie, bring it on out, and we're, we're going to show that before Harvest America. All right. We're in Genesis chapter 2. Um, we're going to try to cover the whole chapter, actually. But God, in creating, he not only made us, he gave us a pattern to live by. He gave us a pattern of rest. And every Sabbath day was to be a Sabbath rest. And it was to be so where man rested from his labors. It wasn't because God was tired and he needed a break. It was because he wanted us to enjoy life. Our same God who created us with drive and motivation uh, declared man is to rest every Sabbath or every seventh day from his labors. You know, a Sabbath rest or day of rest allows a person to kind of regroup, to recharge the batteries, to consider their goals, their ambitions, and then make adjustments in their life as to where they're going and what they're doing. When any person works, you know, seven days a week on a constant basis, that person will begin to suffer from what we call tunnel vision. And they will not be able to see the forest for the trees because all they're doing is working. We need a day of rest physically and mentally. Gallo Winery, you may have heard of them biggest winery in the United States. They were the biggest employer of the city of Modesto where Lori and I came out of. And Modesto is a city about the size of Huntsville. Gallo had what they call golden handcuffs. They paid all of their employees better than anybody else in the area. They had better benefits better perks all the way across the board. And suddenly, very suddenly, Gallo encouraged their workforce to live the good life. Buy that better vehicle, that bigger house, those finer things in life that you've always wanted. Gallo wanted their employees in debt. They understood that an employee who is in debt worked harder and longer, even weekends, than an employee that wasn't in debt. 
and Gallo effectively squeezed the life right out of their workers. God commands rest one day a week, and that kind of principle thwarts the golden handcuffs that anybody would try to put on you. Now here's the thing, some of you work for local gallows, even though they're not wineries. <laughs> and God has provided us a day of rest, because we need it. So let's read Genesis 2, 1 through 7, and then we'll move on. Thus the heavens and the earth and all the host of them were finished. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the history of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. But a mist went up from heaven, or went up from earth, and watered the whole face of the ground. And the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. After God establishes the seventh day of rest, we see him developing or making an irrigation system for all the plants, trees, and the foliage around the earth. And there was no rain on earth until the time of Noah's flood. God created a system of condensation and evaporation. And he did this under a canopy or thick atmosphere. Each and every morning when Adam would get up, there would be a heavy layer of dew on the ground, perhaps even a heavy wet fog. And this happens to be a very efficient way to irrigate or water plants. And then in verse 7 we see, God formed or sculpted man from the earth or from the dust. The most common mixture of elements, lowly dust, is our composition. That's what we're made of. But Adam, he was complete in every way, but he had no life in him until God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living being. Man and man alone created in the image of God, becoming alive by God breathing into him. Life ignited, created by God into man. Now science, they can clone sheep, animals. They probably have even cloned human beings if we were to know the truth of it. However, cloning is taking something that's already alive and simply growing it. Only God is the giver of life. Only God can take matter and spark it into life. 
So understand that. Before we move on to verse 8, though, look at verse 4, and we have the term Lord God, or as we would probably say today, Yahweh. And it's the first use of the term God, Lord God, or Yahweh. Yahweh meaning supreme Lord. In English, the word Lord originated from the word bread or loaf, meaning our Lord God is a giver or dispenser -er of bread. We have Jesus in the Gospel of John proclaiming that he is the bread of life. Jesus not only gives us physical bread, daily bread, Jesus also gives us spiritual bread. And we're incomplete as a spiritual being until we partake of Jesus, the bread of life. And we will do that. We will remember that on Wednesday evening when we partake of communion, recognizing Jesus, the bread of life. We're going to look at verses 8 through 25 here in a moment, but from verse 8 on, we read what appears to be Adam's account of creation. Now, some people find it difficult to think Adam would be able to write the account of creation. But if Adam was anything like you or I, he probably asked God a thousand questions about how he created things. Adam, without a doubt, was the brightest, the most intelligent human being ever, bar none. Yet Adam, and him being literate, baffles some modern day thinkers. There was a Christian school teacher who posed a question to his class and he asked them if they thought God understood complex subjects like quantum physics. Now these are kids that already believe in God. Some of them thought that quantum physics was beyond God. They have a small God. <laughs> and many uh, modern day thinkers have bought into the false concept that we are smarter or more intelligent today than our ancestors. The only thing we do today that our forefathers lacked is we have the ability to retain information better and more quickly. Books, computers. If you have a question today, what do you do? You Google it. <laughs> it's our encyclopedia of, of life. And that's okay, but perhaps our native intelligence has diminished because of all the information we have right at our fingertips. Perhaps our ability to reason and use logic has simply become information gathering. A real problem uh, for Bible teachers, and I think particularly for young Bible teachers, is 
There is so much Bible data out there, and it's so easy to download. Some of the young pastors and Bible teachers, they merely regurgitate what they've gathered in. And they don't ask God, what do you want me to say to your people from this passage? They do not sometimes recognize God's word is alive. I have to admit, much of my study time is devoted to where does God want to take this passage? And some of you wonder, well, where did you take it? But anyway... As a Bible teacher, I want to be informing my listeners what God has in each and every passage for you. Again, His Word is alive. So now let's read verses 8 through 25. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there He put man whom He had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from there it parted and became four river heads. The name of the first is Pison. It is the one which skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedillium or whatever, and the onyx stones are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hedekel. It is the one which goes towards the east of Assyria. The fourth river is the Euphrates. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may eat freely, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed it up the flesh in its place, and then the rib which God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed." We have here God planting a garden, God creating a perfect environment, a perfect habitat for Adam and soon-to-be Eve. 
she's just a probably a day or two away from creation verse 15 tells us Adam is to tend take care of the garden so the first man is granted the privilege of being a farmer and if you're not a farmer you should be but anyway I'm a farmer there are two trees of significance here planted by God tree of life which uh, uh, is now in heaven Revelation 22 2 and the tree of knowledge good and evil or the temptation tree this temptation tree happens to be the tree of testing planted by God to give man the opportunity to choose to choose good or evil God has placed Adam in his perfect garden so why the tree of knowledge for Adam for any man to be a man of free will to be separate from the animal king kingdom choice and free will has to be available God does not want our forced allegiance he does not want required behavior from us here's what God wants God wants us to choose to love him and align ourselves with him that's his purpose that's his causes he wants us to choose to love him and align with him and for that choice to choose God for it to be valid for it to be real there has to be an opportunity to disobey there has to be that opportunity to reject God's command there has to be a forbidden for righteousness to shine in history the history of man proves proves how good we are at rebelling consider consider today after Adam fell after the fall of man where man sinned there was one prohibition today we have multitudes of temptations we have varieties of how to sin that boggle the mind man has become in his fallen nature extremely creative in temptations advertising commercials on TV when you carefully examine them many times it is simply a temptation to sin the one that really got out front and open was what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas oh my <laughs> yeah how can you look at that one but when you truly examine sin and why man sins pleasure is almost always there I'm going to tell you some 
facts here. A thief steals because he's a thief. Only occasionally does he steal out of need. Same thing with a liar. He lies because he is a liar. Adultery, same, same. And you get my point. Now the excuses for sinning, they vary, you know. They're amazing. It, you know, talk to a child sometime that has done something wrong. Their excuses are amazing. But the bottom line is we sin because we are sinners. I have a friend that's in prison, Bobby. And Bobby's doing 20 years right now for stealing, or trying to steal, I should say, a little pack of donuts. You see, Bobby, in his younger days, he was into drugs. And he would steal, he would break and enter, he would do anything to support his drug habit. Well, Bobby got caught and arrested, and he was sent to San Quentin in California. And while in prison, Bobby got saved. He wanted to follow the Lord in water baptism. On his way to be baptized, another inmate tried to stab him. And it's a great testimony of the grace of God. Bobby and a bunch of other <laughs> parolees attended Modesto Calvary Chapel, where I attended. <laughs> and we had great Christian fellowship. We really did. They had stories that were very interesting, to say the least. God restored Bobby, restored his marriage, allowed him to be a, a Christian husband and a father. And Bobby was extremely bold for Jesus. I have personally seen Bobby walk into a middle of a group of hell's angels and begin to tell them about Jesus. I watched him do it and I go, wow, Bobby, <laughs> that's good. To make a long story short, however, Bobby got back into drugs. He was fired from the best job he had ever had. His wife divorced him. And as fate would have it, one day in a convenience store, Bobby tried to steal a little pack of donuts. He got caught. And because this was his third offense, Bobby went back to jail, and he's serving out 20 years. Still in prison today for stealing a pack of donuts. Here's the irony. When Bobby was arrested, he had money in his pockets. He was arrested for trying to steal a pack of donuts that he had money in his pocket that he could have bought. Why did Bobby steal? Because Bobby wanted to steal. The same thing with us. Why do we sin? Basically because we find pleasure in sin. Adam, he had one prohibition. He had one do not do. Do not eat of the tree of knowledge. A 
of every tree of the garden Adam could eat except one. Have you ever wanted to confront Adam on that? <laughs> Adam, what are you doing? <laughs> Look around you. There's thousands of trees. Why that one, Adam? But with them, we all fell. Adam fell and we fell with him. But back in verse 9, we read that God planted the trees of the garden. Adam has seen the tree of knowledge grow. Probably witnessed that tree growing for years. One command from God, one prohibition, one and only one. Stay away from that tree, Adam. Do not eat of it. And look how it's developed. Today, you and I, we face multitudes of temptations before we even eat breakfast. Turn on the news. Try to get the weather report. Temptations begin to come at you. Adam, he has managed to avoid this temptation for a while. But don't get too mad at Adam. We probably would have sinned before Adam did. Verse 18, God said, It's not good that man's alone. I will make him a helper, comparable to him. And the operative word there is comparable. Similar in ability and intelligence. God brought all the animals to Adam to see what he would call them, what he's going to name these animals. And Adam classified the animal kingdom, you know, bovine, canines, etc. And there's a story that goes with it. One day, Eve goes up to Adam. She says to him, Adam, why did you name the elephant an elephant? Adam's reply, because it looked like an elephant. And it's how simple it was. God then performs the first surgery known to man, opening up Adam, and he caused a deep sleep to fall on him. God taking a rib and creating Eve from Adam's rib. Adam and Eve had the exact same DNA. Eve, the perfect, suitable helpmate for Adam to help Adam accomplish what God has commanded Adam to do. God has given Adam responsibility. He's given him accountability. He is to tend to take care of the Garden of Eden. A little later, Adam will have the responsibility as a father, as a family man, as a husband. And God knows Adam needs help, thus Eve. And Adam is extremely pleased with the creation of Eve. Let us read how Adam describes his wife, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. 
Adam, he classifies his new helpmate, woman, because out of man she came, meaning she is just like me. Eve being taken out of man, Eve created from man for man. God then joins Adam and Eve together, husband and wife. And we have God here ordaining marriage of a man and a woman. Whenever I do a wedding, I love to point that out. <laughs> God ordained the marriage of a man and a woman. And man does not have the right to change that. And I don't care how that sits with you. God ordained it. God creating man and woman for each other. And without getting into the unnatural, sinful attraction of same sex to one another, and that's all homosexuality is, attraction to the same sex, it's sinful attraction to be attracted to the same sex. And the gay community tries to proclaim, I was made this way. And I agree with them in part. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us, we have sin which so easily entangles us. Each person has a sin that they're prone to commit. It's like each person has an Achilles heel. Homosexuality is sinful, but so is adultery. Murder is sinful. Lying, stealing, etc. are sinful. But if you buy into the behavior, simply being the way you were born, is what you are, then why do we have laws? Why are they laws of the land? Should we not then accept thieves as thieves? Murderers? Adulterers? As simply being born that way? In my humble opinions, homosexuality is a no greater sin than adultery. They're both sexual sins. It's how we look upon them as a society. It's our view on sexual sin that kind of tells us what state of affairs we live in. When a society begins to accept homosexuality, it's a gauge, it's a barometer where God says, I'm getting close to being done with that society. And here's the bad thing, and I consider it a very serious, grievous thing in the church today. Homosexuality is more accepted in some Christian circles than other sexual sins like adultery. Some churches will hire a homosexual pastor that would never hire someone in adultery. Both happen to be an offense against God. 
The depravity of our society is all around us. And I say to you as a Christian believer, awaken to it. Both the sin of homosexuality and adultery are glamorized on TV. You can't hardly turn on TV without it being thrust right into your face. It is simply sinful man coming against God's order and plan. And that order and plan is one man, one woman for life. That's his plan. And the sins of adultery, we call sleeping together. The sin of homosexuality, I can't help it, I'm born this way, are simply excuses by man to sin. These things ought to never be. Amen. Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, you tell us we're to be salt and light. And Lord, we live in a perverted world where sin is glorified, where sin is thrust upon us, where sin is accepted as the norm. May it never be with us, your people. May we be that light shining in a dark place. Cause us to be salt and light, Lord. Let us stand up for what is right in our families, in our homes, in our communities. Let us be men and women of God. So give us boldness where we need boldness, Lord. Give us discernment where we need discernment. Let us, let us be that person that stands up for righteousness. Help us, Lord, to be that good witness unto you. We pray for this, Lord. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen.